Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast. Hopefully, you still remember us. I'm Max Boltman, and with me, as always, is Prashant Iyer, and we are back from a little two, three-week hiatus here. We'll probably stay a little uh, irregular for the next month and a half to two months or so, right up until the draft of free agency. But um, as news happens, we'll still be coming at you through the summer. And there has been some news. The Red Wings loaned out uh, a couple of their most important young players in the farm system to Europe. There has obviously been an entire qualifying round with implications that uh, could reach the Red Wings at some point. So uh, we're going to talk about a lot of that today. Prashanth, uh, how you been the last couple of weeks? Uh, can't complain. Still uh, chugging along over here, enjoying this restart, and, and glad that honestly the NHL has you know demonstrated that they're going to take all of these precautions uh, seriously, and they have uh, done an outstanding job with the bubble. So I've been able to enjoy a lot of hockey recently. Yeah, it's been really impressive that they've been able to keep it as tight as they have, and they they've been going now for a little more than I think I think about two weeks when you include the exhibition. So. So far, so good, and and we'll hope that it stays rolling along that way. Obviously, our focus, though, on on one of the teams that's not at the bubble, and I do want to talk really quick about just the the Red Wings loaning out Philip Zadina and Moritz Seider to uh, Trinich and to Mannheim in the Czech and uh, DEL leagues, respectively. So what's your read on this? Uh, how, how significant is it? I mean, the DEL doesn't technically start until November 13th. I think that's like four days before NHL training camp is supposed to uh, start. So maybe maybe not a ton of game action for Moritz, at least. But what's your read on this whole situation? I think it's a good move by the Red Wings, and it's kind of nice that they have these relationships in place with, you know, with Mannheim, uh, where Sider was drafted from, and then obviously Philip Zadina playing, you know, in the Czech Extra League prior to uh, coming over on loan to where he was drafted from in Halifax. So I think it's kind of nice that those relationships existed so that the Wings are, can get arguably their two most important prospects outside of uh, who they're going to draft this year. Uh, They can make sure that those guys at least get some action, whether it's, you know, the act of going through a training camp, the act of getting some skating in. uh, And it's almost like a a little bit of kind of couching if the NHL, you know, struggles to be able to to have the full restart um, as anticipated kind of at the end of this year, early next year. Um, Obviously, like we've said, the bubble has gone off exceedingly well. But if the plan is to do this outside of the bubble, there's certainly a lot of concerns um, that could pop up. And so knowing that those two guys at least have a spot in, in Europe where, you know, the COVID cases have been a lot better contained and managed and and potentially these seasons are going to get off without a hitch. I think it's got to be exciting for Red Wings fans to know that their two most important players are going to be getting game action. I think that's an excellent point. And, and you look at it and no matter how you sliced it, it was going to be at least an eight-month offseason for the Red Wings um, if things went perfectly for the NHL. And we've seen in 2020 how rarely things go perfectly. So I, I like that point. I mean, obviously, I think the idea is just to get them playing, get them on the ice, and, and get them into structured uh, play. I mean, when I talked to Sean Horkoff this week, you know, he, that's basically what he said is how much of an advantage you get uh, when you have guys playing in structured practices or camps to increase the pace, and, and obviously that helps get them ready. Two guys who, who you know, they're going to want to make a real run at the roster this year. But your point is a really good one that, you know, even if, you know, even if things maybe don't go perfectly now, it's not compounding on two of the most important young players in the system. And, and if the NHL has to delay to, let's say, January or, or whatever else could happen, um, or the AHL too, for that matter, um, now they're in a spot where they're playing live games. 
Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's not like the typical loan situation where, you know, some of these scenarios where you have these loans, the, the other leagues aren't really willing to take these guys or they can't guarantee them a certain amount of playing time or uh, you have to kind of re- give up their rights for that entire year, regardless of what happens. And it sounds like you know, based on the prior relationships, that there is going to be a little bit of flexibility here. The Wings kind of have some trust in, in particularly in Adler Mannheim uh, and their kind of development program to know that uh, Moritz Sider is going to get pushed. He's going to get played in big minutes, big situations, and and have a lot, uh, have a significant opportunity to have a big impact. And obviously, you know, Philip Zadina coming back to the Czech Extra Liga. Um, I mean, the team that he's going to go back to, I mean, last year they were a solid team. They were a playoff team. Uh, you know, a couple of Former NHLers uh, kind of suited up for them, and Wojtek uh, Wolski, and uh, um, even Andre Nostrasso, who's a former Red Wings, played a couple games there before he left for the KHL. So it's still a team that's got some players, and I think these guys are going to be able to get into some bigger minutes, but there's still that flexibility uh, available in this loan situation. Yeah, it's also his his dad is an assistant coach on that team. So when you talk about familiarity, like he, he came up in the Perduba system, which is a different organization, um, but he will have that kind of that different kind of familiarity. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I don't imagine that he's going to get kind of coach's kid treatment as people think about it in like youth hockey or anything like that, uh, but not a bad kind of relationship to have as they ease into it. And, and it matters because I think, as much as, especially for cider, the, the, the training camp is probably the key. Just getting those structured camps in, like the extra league starts in mid September, right around the time the Swedish league does. Zadina could get a, a good handful of games in there. Yeah, and he, you know when he comes back to camp, hopefully, uh, whenever the NHL picks back up at the end of the year in January, you're kind of hoping that this guy's hitting the ground running and that he looks like an absolute machine. I mean, really, you know, all this guy needs is reps right now because his his NHL season, while promising this past year, was kind of disjointed in, in the injury situation that he had. He kind of missed a chunk of time. He just needs reps in, and if he gets those reps and is able to hit the ground running at training camp, I mean, watch out. I mean, this kid could have a, a, a big kind of 2020-2021 season um, if everything kind of goes perfectly in that scenario. So I think this was a, a huge win for the Red Wings. It's it's kind of a win-win across all the scenarios. You've got flexibility in the loan. You know they're going to play in good organizations. Uh, they're going to get protected minutes. They're going to get big-time opportunities. And it's your two most important prospects right now, save for the guy they're going to draft this year. So really just a, a, a good bit of luck for the Red Wings here. Now, the obvious like follow-up to all of that is, well, why don't they do this with everyone, right? Because you look at it and you say, well, Zadina, might, Zadina Ansider might show up to training camp in kind of mid-season form or at least, you know, early season form where, you know, you're not kind of rusty after a long layoff. Why not do this with every prospect, every young player, whatever? And I think the answer to that question is it's not as easy as it sounds to, to kind of find those arrangements. And we talk about these connections that Cider and Zadina have to their programs. Like, don't underrate the importance of that, right? Because these teams have their own, I mean, obviously that Zadina and Cider are great players. Any team is going to want to add a player like that. But what you mentioned about uh, the flexibility and not having to be for the full season is key. Like if, if you're willing to loan a guy out for the full year, um, that's one thing. But assuming you want them in North America at some point this year, you know, it, it is a little bit of an ask to, to find a perfect situation where you're going to know they're going to be, um, you know, getting those big minutes and, um, you know, all that stuff. You know, they're going to be comfortable, you know, especially when you talk about loaning a North American, like at least with Zadina and Cider, you know, these are either their hometowns or, or they have these kind of connections. It, I don't know that it's so easy to take someone from, 
Canada or the United States and just drop them into Europe and, and say, figure it out on a team that um, is then going to have to find playing time for them and then potentially do so knowing that they're only going to have them for like four to six weeks, if that. And I think that's just a more complex, I would think that's a more complicated arrangement. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's a very complicated arrangement in the sense that, you know, without that flexibility, the NHL team certainly doesn't want to part with their player for the whole year, not knowing if, you know, there is going to be an NHL resumption, which again, the anticipation is they're going to be able to find a way to to pull this off and get the 2020-2021 season going. So you don't want to lose that player for the entire year. And then again, it just comes down to you may not have familiarity with a, a lot of these organizations. You know, these are two organizations where, you know, like you mentioned, Max, you've got Philip Zadina's dad as an assistant coach in one, and you've got Sider and, and Adler Mannheim, and, and the Wings have obviously scouted uh, Adler Mannheim very, very much the last couple of years with Sider uh, last year and then Tim Stutzla this year. So, you know, you've got that familiarity where you can't just take some of these guys and pluck them in other organizations and expect that they're going to get handled the way you want them to. They're going to get developed and coached the way you want them to. They're going to get the opportunities that you want them to. And you still have that flexibility. It's just, it's not going to be a simple, you know, open and shut case uh, for a lot of these players. And and without knowing whether or not you're going to have that season, I don't think that's a risk uh, the Wings are really going to be willing to take here. I thought it was funny in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts column uh, from this week. He, he said there's a European coach who, who he talked to who said he's getting calls from guys offering to play for no salary, just room and board, as long as there's an out clause to return whenever leagues restart in, in North America. I think that illustrates that it's just, you know, yeah, you might want your guys to, to be playing over in Europe. So does everyone else. And and by the way, there's already guys on those teams too. So um, I, I wouldn't rule out that there could be another one or two coming. Like I, when I wrote my column uh, or my, my article this week about it, um, I, I kind of highlighted Evgeny Svechnikov as, as a player who I think it would make a ton of sense for just in terms of where he's at in his recovery process from his knee injury and and how much he kind of needs to hit the ground running when the NHL season starts. But it, it does come back to that kind of potentially easier said than done um, situation. And, and you know, he is at least from Russia, right? So, so that is hometown. And that that takes out kind of one of those concerns we we brought up. But uh, we'll see. He, he'd be a guy who I'd be very curious about. But um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say there's any kind of locks at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sveshnikov is similar to Zadina in that at least he had some prior international experience before coming over to, yeah. to North America. Sveshnikov was in the Akbar's, um, you know, system. Uh, both he and his brother Andre played in for the U16, U17. And then Sveshnikov even got a couple games in at the KHL level and MHL level um, prior to coming over to Cape Breton for his draft year. So uh, you maybe hope that some of that familiarity is there. Um, that being said, the KHL hasn't always been, uh, let's say, forgiving in having the one-year loan situation. Typically, uh, they've, they've wanted to have the player for the full year as opposed to having kind of uh, out clauses midway through the season. So that may be an extra layer of kind of difficulty in getting Sveshnikov plugged back in, at least in the KHL, but perhaps uh, there are other, other, there may be other locations where he could get plugged in, but ultimately it's going to be a difficult, um, you know, maneuver, unlike what you had with Zadina Insider. Yeah. So that's something to monitor though, as things go on and Svechnikov signed, by the way, over the weekend, he's the first of, uh, of, of many RFAs to get signed uh, this summer. So we'll keep monitoring that as well. The final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the court. While the ending of this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will be no shortage of excitement. 
And there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season. So get in on all the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. If basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament, and with millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. So download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And now a quick word from Indochino. The other side of it is just kind of the NHL news. And, and obviously the, the play on the play and run I've found really entertaining, really exciting. I've loved the wall to wall hockey from noon to midnight, which as you know, is just basically my waking hours. So, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying that, but, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the ripples and, and the fallout from the qualifying round. Some teams getting eliminated that were a surprise others who maybe it was a confirmation of what we thought about them. What are kind of your big takeaways from the qualifying round and, and some potential fallout going forward? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the thing that I'm most excited about is watching NHL teams overreact to a five game play in series. <laughs> uh, you know, we already talked about the NHL being one of the most random leagues in the sense of, you know, the best team doesn't always win and, and more often than not doesn't really win uh, when it comes to the Stanley cup playoffs. And so now you kind of maximize that even more by taking a seven-game series and turning it into a five-game series uh, with this kind of qualifying round. And so, you know, unsurprisingly, you had some big names go down. You had Pittsburgh, uh, you know, fall to Montreal, which was, again, a, a, a upset that I don't think a lot of people would have expected. You obviously had Edmonton go down to Chicago. Uh, and then kind of probably biggest, you had Columbus taking out Toronto and what was just an absolutely wild five-game series to watch. And so I think I'm excited. I was very much excited because, one, I think we got to see absolute chaos. A five-game series with evenly matched teams was always going to be uh, absolute chaos. And then the second piece I'm excited for is the fallout. As you're now seeing the exit interviews from a lot of these uh, teams, you're seeing Jim Rutherford kind of rip uh, Justin Schultz in, in Pittsburgh and kind of question whether his players wanted to be there. You're getting kind of Kyle Dubas having to defend, uh, you know, Cody Cece, and you're getting Toronto fans ripping Mitch Marner for his efforts and even coming after Freddie Anderson, despite him having a, a, a decent five game series. And then, you know, obviously in Edmonton, we're getting uh, articles written about how Drysaddle and McDavid aren't going anywhere until they have their Steve Eiserman moment. And it's just, I'm absolutely in love with this chaos, and it was really absolutely perfect when none of those three won the draft lottery, and and therefore they kind of have to deal with this moving forward as Toronto loses their first-round pick to Carolina. Uh, I think Pittsburgh today decided they were going to keep theirs, Um, and Edmonton, as we know, has already moved a a second-round pick over to Detroit and a fourth-round pick um, as well. And so there's just very, very exciting. I love chaos, and it was just great to watch. Yeah, so let's start there then. What team do you think is most likely to overreact to this? And what team do you think most likely or is most likely to 
make a big change. And that's a proper reaction to all of this. Yeah. So I think the team that's most likely to overreact to all of this is going to be Toronto. And you have to think about this because, you know, they don't have a lot of flexibility to tear down that roster unless they are willing to part with one of their big four forwards. Um, and, and that's going to be interesting because yet again, we saw Toronto got beat because they didn't have kind of a solid defensive group. You know, Cody Cece's playing big minutes here. Tyson Berry was not what they expected him to be. Both those guys are probably not going to be back. The The loss of Jake Muzzin was huge. Uh, you know, Morgan Riley, as good as he is offensively, is not that strong of a, a defensive defenseman. And so they kind of got themselves stuck in situations where the Blue Jackets forecheck was just incredible, the pressure they were able to apply and then keep in that offensive zone um, was just uh, kind of too much for Toronto at times. And so, you know, looking at them, Toronto's either faced with a decision of, I think my offense is good enough and Rasmus Sandin is going to be enough and the development of Nick Robertson is going to be enough. Um, but if it's not, they're going to be faced with a decision of moving potentially Mitch Marner or William Nylander. And so there's already, you know, rumors floating around. I think the pressure on Kyle Dubas is immense. And so I'm very curious to see what they do there um, because I have a feeling that they're going to have to make some moves here. Uh, and it, it may or may be a huge move and maybe a partial teardown to kind of get themselves reset to, to move forward. So I think they're the team most likely uh, to overreact when maybe they don't need to at the moment. So let and me then interject the team, there then. Yeah. Is it, you use the word yet again in that in, in that uh, explanation. I think you're dead on. But if we're using the word yet again, doesn't that kind of mean it's not necessarily an overreaction? Well, so here's the thing, right? We just said hockey is a completely – I mean, there's just so much randomness and variance here, right? Uh, you look at Toronto and, you know, prior to the last couple of years, they've, they've drawn Boston. And Boston is just a an outstanding right. hockey team. And so do you want to overreact to losing to the team that just – you know, runner-up in the Stanley Cup final last year. Uh, no, you don't want to overreact to them. Columbus last year swept Tampa, and Tampa could have overreacted to that, but instead they got better this year, and they they were able to hang with Columbus, and they finally beat them in five overtimes uh, to, to finally get on the board against them. But Columbus is the kind of team where they're just not a fun team to play against. They remind me of the Mighty Ducks in 2003 that – just that was a completely defensive juggernaut, oddly enough, coached by Mike Babcock, that ran through a lot of good hockey teams. And Columbus with John Tortorella is very much a similar type team. So I just don't think you can overreact to that, recognizing the randomness associated with this. You're getting some bad matchups and you have to recognize you're a far more skilled team. I mean, Red Wings fans should be all too familiar with this. Uh, you know, struggling in the early 90s to really get over the hump, uh, including getting swept by the Devils in the in the Stanley Cup Finals, a far inferior team, and then losing to the Avalanche in, in the Conference Finals in 96 when they had just won 62 games and they could have torn it down. They almost did tear it down. Steve Eiserman was almost dealt for Alexi Ashen in 1996. And so that was almost there. And I think what Toronto has to do is is stick with it, but I think they're the pressure on them is so immense that they're the team that I think is most likely to make that move when I don't think they necessarily have to. I think that's fair, and and I I do think Toronto needs to bolster their um, defensive 
you know, rotation. I think it needs to be someone who kind of doesn't fit their usual type. Uh, but I also, you know, especially when you hear people talk about them trading William Nylander, I think that'd be a mistake. I think Nylander's one of their better contracts. Yeah, Nylander's one of the best contracts they have, arguably the best contract they have, right? At $6.9 million for the next several years. I mean, the guy is supremely talented, but, you know, he gets criticized uh, for the way he plays in a five-game series after a restart, and now all of a sudden he's potentially on the chopping block. So uh, Toronto's the team, I think, most likely to overreact to their exit, particularly uh, since they lost their first round pick. Um, and this year they don't have a first round pick. They don't have a third round pick and they're loaded up, which is kind of picks in, in round six and seven. They have six picks in round six and seven. So, you know, they're, they're not really in position to, to do much or to really negotiate. So that's why I think they're, they may be looking to either swing back into the first round or, you know, potentially move one of these bigger dollar contracts to try and get some defensive help. That's fair. I, I think you could also say, you know, Florida's the team that's already acted, right? Like they've fired their GM, but with the with the way that they've kind of performed and they they do have a couple of those superstar level players that you look for and it just hasn't it hasn't happened for them. Maybe that's not an overreaction. Are, are they your team who is kind of properly reacting or is there someone else? Yeah, I think they're the team that needs to react more than anybody else because you know, you look at Florida, they probably shouldn't have been a part of this. They wouldn't have made the playoffs in a regular year. But you look at their roster, and there are pieces there, right? You've got Jonathan Huberto and Alexander Barkov on contracts that are $5.9 million in average annual value. Yeah. Those are two supremely valuable contracts for two outstanding players. And Barkov's 24 and Huberto's 27. You need to get something out of those guys when they're on those kinds of deals. Because in 2022, when you're negotiating with Barkov, he might get double that or at least close to that. Uh, Huberto in 2023 is going to get a significant pay raise, um, although at that point he's probably 30 years old, so Florida may not be wanting to do that. But I really think your window for Florida to make some noise is in the next two to three years. When you've got Barkov on that deal, when you've got Huberto on that deal, you've got Aaron Ekblad for $7.5 million for the next five years you got to make some moves there. I think they really shot themselves in the foot with the Sergei Bobrovsky deal. Yep. And and that's definitely going to limit their ability to do things. However, they need to make that effort. They need to make that attempt because if they lose Barkov, if they lose Huberto, you know, in the next two to three years because they're not able to pay those guys or they don't maximize, you know, other deals around them, then their window is is potentially closed for a long period of time. So I think they are the team that needs to be most aggressive, you know, this offseason and getting back in. And they've got four picks in the first three rounds. And 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 hopefully they're they're able to to make something out of that. How about Nashville? They're a team that, you know, they went out uh, against the Arizona Coyotes. That was actually a pretty good series. Um, but I just look at the way that they're built and I don't know if I see I mean they've got Roman Yossi who might win the Norris this year. They've got Philip Forsberg, who I really like. They've got Victor Arvidsson, who I really like. Ryan Ellis is a great player. Matthias Eckholm is a really solid piece. It just isn't getting them anywhere. Yeah, I mean, they're a team that uh, has built from the back end and has tried to kind of add pieces up front as necessary through trades. But if you look at kind of the age structure of Nashville – they're on the wrong side of the aging curve for a lot of their key players. And so, you know, you could look at this and you can almost take a, a kind of Ken Holland approach of the 
uh, late 2000s, early 2010s, where he's saying, I know my core is on the wrong side of the aging curve, but I'm going to do everything I can to get the most out of it as possible. And that includes being as aggressive as you can with different trades, with free agency, things along those lines. I'm almost of the mindset that, hey, Victor Arvidsson's 27, Philip Forsberg's 25. I could try to see if I can get a quick teardown done and try and get back up while I still have some, you know, utility of these guys playing at a high level. Because I don't think there's any guarantee that Ryan Ellis, you know, sustains the level he was at this year. He's been up and down, up and down. Roman Yossi, I think, is legit. I think Matias Ekholm is legit. And I think they've got some, you know, players in their system in Tomasino and Tolvanen that will be able to come up and step up. But I almost wonder if they're the team that says, you know, we're on, we could go 50-50 right now, but I think the way they swing is if I can get a teardown and a quick, uh, you know, rebuild here in three to four years, that might be the way to go for Nashville. All right, so then here's here's where all this leads up to. What can the Red Wings do to uh, take advantage or to assist in any of that for, for these teams or for anyone else who's been eliminated? Because you look around, it's a flat salary cap. Any team that wants to do major restructuring, assuming that they are close to the cap, and most teams are, um, they're going to need a partner in some of that. Is there anything out there that you look at and you say of the teams eliminated, or if you want to go to a team that's still in it, that's fine too, and and say this is where Detroit can take advantage of a team that maybe maybe they're overreacting, maybe they're properly reacting to, to whatever's happening to them in, in these playoffs? Yeah, I mean, the first one that jumps out to me is obviously Toronto. If they're going to be willing to move William Nylander and their hands are kind of bound a little bit in terms of how much they can take back and how much they can truly ask for with people kind of knowing that there's this pressure there. If you're able to get them on a reasonable deal uh, from Toronto, whether, you know, I, I'm not really going to speculate on on kind of what that would look like, at least right now. But if you're able to make a, a reasonable deal with Toronto for William Nylander, that's an instant upgrade over really anybody you've got in your system right now. I mean, he's instantly, uh, you know, he's got the ability to play center. You can play wing. Uh, he gives you a lot of added dimensions to Detroit. I think that's a huge get, and he's on a great contract, and he's still, you know, relatively young. I think that's a big one there. I think if, if Pittsburgh's another team to kind of look at that, if they're going to continue trying to reload for uh, the last runs of Evgeny Malkin and, and Sidney Crosby, are they willing to move uh, some of their early picks? You know, they've got a first-round pick in 2020 here uh, that they've decided to keep. I'm assuming they've decided to keep it because they want to use it. But if not, you know, you may scope and see if they're willing to deal that. Otherwise, you know, you start looking at their 2021 second-round pick, their 2022 first-round pick, and seeing, you know, are you willing to move any of those um, you know, if they're trying to either shop for some of Detroit's older pieces, uh, if there are other bargains that you can make with with Pittsburgh here, they're a team that just kind of strikes me as they're going to keep shopping, reloading, and trying to maximize what they can get there. So whether you either get a young player from them uh, or you potentially are able to uh, pull a prospect or a high pick, I think they're another team you look at. And then of the teams remaining, the, the big team I'm keyed in on is St. Louis. You know, you and I were talking about this kind of off the podcast, but the earliest St. Louis could pick in the first round would be uh, 27th because I believe they had the best record in the NHL uh, heading second into best, yeah, the stoppage. Yeah, second best. So heading heading into the stoppage. And so the, the way the NHL does their the seeding is even if St. Louis loses in the first round here, they'll still reseed based on record up through the conference finals. So uh, while it would be 27th, that's a pick where 
again, St. Louis has a lot of people they need to re-sign, namely Alex Petrangelo, if they're going to try and run it back. Uh, and so can you, again, take contracts plus picks off of their their books? Do you, Are you able to take Tyler Bozak at $5 million? Uh, are you able to take Alexander Steen at 5.75? Are you able to take, you know, some of those guys from them? You know, Jake Allen's another one at 4.4 million. You get one of those guys and, and St. Louis throws in a pick, you're in business now. So that's what I'm going to be doing if I'm Detroit and if I'm Steve Eisenman is kind of shopping uh, around to those teams and saying, hey, what do you want to do with your cap space and how can I get you some cap space and here's what I want back if I'm going to get you that space. So the team I look at, and I, I like that, especially the call on St. Louis. They're a team they've got to resign Petrangelo. That you know they make they've got all the reason in the world to try and and, and give themselves a, a path to doing that. The team I look at is a team that might overreact to their qualifying round in in a way that uh, I mean they they might get too positive, right? The team that knocked out the the Florida Panthers is the Islanders, and they looked really impressive as they always do in their structure. But I'm still not sold that this is a team that can really make a ton of noise deep in the postseason just because, you know, I, I like the, the forward pieces. I like Jordan Eberle, Anders Lee, obviously Matt Barzal, and I was blown away by Anthony Beauvillier in their series. I'm just not sure that they've got the goods to go farther than the conference semis, right? And I don't know if they're going to get past the Capitals here. So, But if they're a team that decides all of a sudden, you know, they're they're knocking off teams, they're, they're winning a round or two in the playoffs and they want to make a run, clear out some space. Obviously, they got to get the Barzell deal done. They've got a couple contracts on there that I think could be very interesting with regard. They don't have their, their first rounder this year, but they've got their 2021 uh, and I believe they've got their 2022. And, and I look at Johnny Boychuk, two more years at six million. What does that get you from them? Uh, if you want to go crazy and take Andrew Ladd, that's three more years at five and a half. Andrew Ladd only played like 11 and a half minutes or 12 minutes, I guess, for them uh, this year in, in in four games, uh, 12 minutes a night. I don't maybe I don't know the situation there. Is he is he hurt? Is he going to get LTIR'd? No, I mean, I think he's just simply, you know, at the end of the road here. I don't think he'll be LTIR'd um, necessarily. So he's a guy potentially you consider taking from them. I mean, I, I, I read the story Pierre Lebrun had on The Athletic today about the Marlowe deal with the Canes last year. And in that story... Don Waddell basically says, you know, they have de- dollar values on on what every draft pick is worth. And they make that deal with Toronto because they know that even if Toronto wins, their valuation uh, on on even the 31st pick was about a break-even deal with Marlowe's salary. I mean, to me, that tells you how much a first-round pick is worth when, when even the, the very latest it could possibly be is is worth like a $6 million cap hit. Obviously, they end up getting the 13th pick out of that. I don't know what their value chart is, but that means it's got to be way up there, right? Especially when we know how how the uh, the draft value chart looks when it's just kind of by units. When you grow down and you say, you know, the first pick's worth like 10.7 units and the, and the next one's worth, you know, I don't know what the second pick's worth, like six something or whatever. Uh, I have to imagine that the 13th pick they got, they got a crazy return on that investment. And I do look at the Islanders as a team who maybe maybe they're the kind of team you could make that deal with, whether it's for Boychuk, which is probably the more appetizing option, or, or Ladd, which maybe gets an even better payout. Yeah, I think either one of those guys is, is a great target to go after. And you're absolutely right about the Islanders, because in addition to them being, you know, kind of overachievers the last couple of years, they've got a lot of contracts they're going to have to deal with here, particularly this offseason with Matt Barzell and then Ryan Pulak, who has been just absolutely outstanding. And then Devon Taves is another one. that they, Those three guys are all restricted free agents. We know Barzal is going to get a huge pay raise. 
Um, Pulak should also get a huge pay raise from $2 million. Yeah, he let him in ice time. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, obviously, Devin Taves as well. So, you know, all of these guys are uh, do big money. And, and with the Islanders kind of committing that money, shelling that out, you're going to have that natural tendency to want to start going for it, opening things up. And and that's where you start to see the team shift into being more willing to move out those draft picks. And and you're absolutely right. You know, it's a couple injuries for, for the Islanders and, and potentially they are uh, crashing and bottoming out in the way the Sharks did this year. So They were the seventh um, seed. Cert- like they are yeah. not that far off from being a nine seed. And as we have seen, all you got to do is be in the lottery and you never know what happens. Yeah, exactly. And so they're, they're a team that you just, you, you may want to pick on them. I think they're a team that you could pick on and potentially they, they bottom out and, and you end up with a nice lottery pick. So I think that's a that's a great option as well to look at. It'll be interesting. And, and, and obviously as things play out, you know, teams are going to, teams are going to go maybe a round or two farther than they should, or they're going to get eliminated a round or two sooner than they should. And, and we see it year after year. It affects how teams operate. Um, and I'm very curious to see what that looks like in this offseason, which which considering how short it's going to be, not for the Red Wings, but for all the teams that are in this restart, especially a team that advances even one more round, their season's going to end. And then it's going to seem like a, a mad dash, you know, between end of the season, the draft free agency, which it sounds like might start like even at the draft. Um, it's going to be a crazy off season. It'll be a crazy one, but it'll be a fun one. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be here with you guys uh, every time that there's kind of a, a natural occasion for it. We're trying not to overburden our uh, wonderful producer Danielle right now, who's who's got a lot on her plate, and uh, you know it's just kind of hard for us to ask her to to record super often when when there's just not a whole lot happening. But we will keep recording uh, as, as often as we can. We can. Uh, we can sell it as, a, as as real news happening, and so we'll stay with you. But thanks for being patient with us, and we'll talk to you again soon.